Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. We're in our fall series called Live Well. As we look at biblical principles together, this series will help equip you to live well through the challenges we all face in life. On behalf of our whole team, we want to thank you for joining us this weekend at Milestone. I want to welcome those of you watching online. We're continuing our Live Well series, and we started this series with the premise that in our world today, we have more possibility, more convenience, more opportunity than ever before, and yet many of us are figuring out how do we manage our lives. There's got to be more to life. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be something out there. And we talked about from the very beginning our theme verse, John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I came to bring you life and life to the full. Maybe the most helpful way to understand what Jesus is saying there is, I came to bring you the life you were created to live, the best version of the life that's intended for you. I don't know about you, but that's a life I want. I, I want to know how to get to that life. So we've been looking at the words of Jesus and how he helps us in this series. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to start looking in verse 9. On our way to John 15, though, I've got to say, it, it's really, man, there, there's few things I could say that would be a better picture of living well than what we just realized in this baptismal. What a powerful thing. I mean, I gotta tell you, it's emotional, it's moving. You know, this baptism is a picture, it's a public demonstration of us identifying with the death of Jesus so that we'll receive the power of the resurrected life of Jesus. And it gets no better living well than hearing about Erica, and I didn't know that story. I was trying to recover over there from tears. I'm an emotional person, that was not fair. They just sprung that story on me. What an incredible picture. Her kids are on a mission trip praying for their mom when their mom comes home, gives her life to Christ. That's not normal. That's not ordinary. If you think, oh, that's a great, listen, that should affect you. Not just because it's a sentimental or a spiritual story, but that's what it means to live well. So we've been in this series. We've been talking about, a couple weeks ago we talked about stress. If you missed that message, I'd encourage you to watch it. Last weekend, Pastor Jeff talked about Emotions and thoughts, which are so vital to living well. This week, we're going to talk about relationships. It's a simple progression, stress to emotions to relationships, because we all have them. You know, we all, we all at some level understand relationships are so important in our lives. Relationships are the things that we really care about. In fact, we come up with all different kinds of phrases I was thinking about this week, and sometimes we don't fully appreciate what those phrases mean. We just agree to them without really thinking it through. You ever heard this phrase? Life is all about relationships. I've said that, I've heard that, I've thought, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But if you stop for a minute and think about it, that phrase doesn't tell you everything, right? Because when we say life's all about relationships, it's like, well, prioritize that and think about that and focus on that and, you know, relationships are what you care about. Relationships are easy. Relationships aren't easy, right? There are other phrases that we have that don't really tell you everything. I was thinking about a few of them this week. One that stood out to me was this phrase. It's like riding a bike. You ever heard that phrase? You ever used that phrase? What we mean by it's like riding a bike is once you figure out how to do it, you can always come back to it and, and, and you just, it just fits like a glove. You just start doing it again. If you're a parent, you know it's way more complicated than that. There are a few things that'll test your faith and your frustration level more than training your children how to ride a bike. I have four of them and our last two just learned. Now my eight-year-old is a little spitfire. She's over here on the front row. She has a brother who's nine, she's eight. She got it pretty quickly. 
She's determined little rascal, and so she was zipping around the neighborhood on her pink bike that we got for her. At the same time she got a pink bike, her brother got a red bike. Now, when her brother got this bike, he's, he, he's a big boy, okay? Big man burning diesel. He's probably destined for the offensive line. He's nine years old, 105 pounds, does weights every morning, walks up to me and says stuff like, hey, Dad, you want to fight? I mean, his voice... His voice sounds like a union dock worker. Like, I mean, he's, so he's trying to figure out how to ride a bike and it's all, I mean, he balances in his strength right now. Street fighting is, and um, so he, he couldn't get the hang of it. So he picked up his bike and he just chucked it. It's like, I hate riding bikes. It's like, that was impressive. It's like, dad, sell my bike, I don't want it. So then um, he decides he wants to ride a bike because he watches his sister. His sister's bike is pink with streamers in a basket, and he got so tired of being left out, he started to sneak out riding her bike. And he'd get all these bruises all over him because he'd fall down all the time, but he just stuck with it, and he got the hang of riding a bike. You know, lots of us in our house, we ride bikes, and, and you know, when we were kids, like nowadays we tell our kids, here's a helmet, look both ways, don't, you know, stay on the sidewalk, don't ever go on the road. I was thinking about it, we were not like that when we were kids. No kid in my whole community had a helmet. Like we didn't even know, people rode motorcycles without helmets, right? What kids did was we got together, taught ourselves to ride a bike, then we'd go to like a gravel playground and go, think you can jump it? Yeah, I think you can do it. We'd all egg each other on, right? And we'd fake it. Instead of like making a big deal out of it, we'd fake it. So that's how I learned how to ride a bike. And, and uh, this week I was riding a bike, and I was riding, and I, nowadays I stick to the sidewalks, and I was riding down the sidewalk, and I was going pretty fast, uh, and I was trying to keep my head on a swivel, and I did have a helmet on, and I looked to the side, and all of a sudden something distracted me. There was a car pulling over to the side, and I looked for a second, and by the time I looked back, I'm going down this hill about 20 miles an hour, and I'm weaving through this sidewalk area, and there is a rock that's probably three feet wide and three feet tall, and I'm careening for it. Now, I'm 46 years old. My first thought was, well, I'm about to break my leg, and this is gonna be really bad. So I braced for impact, and for whatever reason, I braced for impact and just leaned a little bit to the, I'm convinced the Lord probably picked me up and moved me to the side. <laughs> I have scars from when I first learned to ride a bike. And here's my point. All of us, when we talk about relationships, we all have scars. And it's probably pretty good advice in relationships. Get a helmet and look both ways, right? Stay on the sidewalk. Why? Because it's painful, it's difficult, there are challenges. It, it, you either come to a point where I'm gonna live by myself, which isn't really valuable, which isn't really even possible, or I'm gonna have to figure out how do I navigate through relationships, and here's why this is so important. Jesus emphasized relationships, as we're gonna see in a moment in John 15. It's so critical, it's so vital to who we are, and, and here's what I found. Jesus said that the world will know you love me by the way that you love each other. There's something about, he made the statement, when any two of you gather in my name, there I am in your midst also. There's something about when we experience, talking about living well, it's impossible to live well without healthy relationships. When you have healthy relationships in your life, you sense the presence of God. Through the love, through the service, through the exchange, through the commitment, you know God's with you when your relationships are healthy. This is why it's so critical, because when your relationships feel broken, 
no matter how good you're doing at work, no matter how good other areas of your life may be, you can't shake this feeling like, God, where are you? It's hard for me to find you in my life. Let's look now at John 15. Incredible passage of scripture. You know, our theme verse is John 10. Last week, Pastor Jeff preached John 11. This week is John 15. This is the last week of Jesus' life. Many Bible scholars believe it's the last night of Jesus' life. You might know it from the night of the Last Supper. He's about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's about to be arrested, beaten, crucified. You could imagine the nature of his conversation with his closest friends and followers is critical. What an incredible privilege. I was thinking about this this week. What an incredible privilege that during one of the most critical conversations, no hyperbole, no exaggeration, one of the most critical conversations in the history of the world, you and I are privy to hear what Jesus actually said in that moment. Let's look here, John 15, nine. He says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, now remain in my love. Now for the sake of time, we're not looking at the whole chapter, but this is a theme throughout the whole chapter. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Maybe your Bible might say abide or remain. Here's the idea. You gotta stay in relationship with God. You gotta stay close to him. You're wondering, what does that look like? Well, it's more than just when you come on the weekend. It's more than just this one hour where you feel close to God. So you have 168 hours in a week. And I'm not saying this to, to correct you or, or to rebuke you. I'm saying this as a healthy reminder for all of us. You can't remain in God's love one hour a week. You gotta, you gotta find ways outside of this gathering, as important as it is, as valuable as it is, beyond a small group, you gotta find ways to remain in his love outside of just these moments. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I kept my Father's command and remain in his love. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's clearly, some people, you know, we talk about relationships and love, it's, well, it's not about feelings, and Jesus is saying yes. Sometimes we get feelings, we're grateful for feelings. As we said last week, we're emotional beings. And emotions aren't, aren't our guide, but they aren't our guide. They, they shouldn't help us to shape things, but they do give us a sense of how we're doing in our heart and our soul. But Jesus is saying, if you wanna know how to feel and experience and remain in my love, my love language, more than acts of service or gifts, my love language is obedience. If you do what I say, if you stay close to me, I receive that as love. Look what he goes on to say, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you. What a great promise. Jesus will give you his joy and that your joy may be complete. I think we all realize all of our joy is connected to the quality of our relationships. And then here's how he ends it. My command is this, colon, buckle your seatbelts, that's what that colon means. <laughs> Love each other as I have loved you. You know, one time I heard Andy Stanley say, that the golden rule is when we love each other the way that we want to be loved. The platinum rule is that we love each other the way that Jesus has loved us. Now, here's the thing about that. You come to church, you expect the pastor to say something like that. But when you go home, you go like, how in the world am I supposed to do that? If you feel intimidated by that command, know this, you're not alone. We're in it together, because that just seems overwhelming. How in the world do we love people the way that Jesus loves them? Because I don't know if you know this about him or not, but he was kind of an expert in relationships. He was pretty much the greatest relational being that's ever lived. 
So for us to go, oh, just do what he does, it becomes exceedingly and incredibly difficult, which is why I think he says, remain in my love, because I don't know about you, anytime you learn something to do really difficult, whether it's calculus or riding a bike or whatever it may be in your world, I found that the best way to learn something difficult is to find somebody who does it well and stay close to them and watch what they do. And I want us to think, here's the reason why I think this gap is so problematic for us in our relationships. And I'm gonna take the rest of our time to get real practical. How do we close that gap? Here's what I think the big problem is. If I were to summarize this passage, I would say this. Relationships aren't about what we get. They're about God's love flowing through us to others. Here's the crux of the problem. Many times when we say life is all about relationships, it sounds so spiritual, it sounds so others-focused, it sounds so meaningful. Unfortunately, myself included, many times what we mean when we say life is all about relationships is life is all about what I get from relationships. And, and this doesn't make you bad, it doesn't make you unusual, it just makes you human. See, we're looking for friends who'll support us. We're looking for confidants who'll encourage us. We're looking for mentors who'll give us wisdom. We're looking for a spouse who'll make us feel loved and valuable. We're looking for children who'll make us feel significant and connected. And we're looking for all these kinds of relationships. And our typical starting point is, what do I get from this relationship? And Jesus says, if you wanna experience my kind of relationship, if you wanna experience life at the level you were created to live, if you wanna experience the best version of your life, you need a new model. You need my model. Here's Jesus' model for relationships. It doesn't come normal to us. Look at this picture. It starts with the Father, and then it goes to Jesus, and then from Jesus it comes to us. Now this whole vertical column, most of us, we discredit it. We don't think about it. We think, well, maybe someday I'll get to that. But, but Jesus' point is it requires us to have this entire vertical column in operation, healthily functioning in our day-to-day lives before we then move to the horizontal column, which is from us to others. See, when you make the horizontal your source, you live consistently frustrated and disappointed with people. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't counting on his disciples to give him the encouragement and support he needed to walk through the most difficult week of his life. He counted on the Father to be his source. And he wasn't just saying, hey, this is how it works for me and the Father. He was saying, I came to show you this kind of life because if you have any hope of having my joy in your relationships, you gotta get rid of your model and you gotta take my model. And I gotta tell you, I'm just like you, I always jump to us and others. But here's the thing, it doesn't work. We try to make it work. Here's what we all know, relationships are difficult. They're exhausting. But you can't be relationally healthy through your own willpower. There aren't enough books, there aren't enough tips, there aren't enough TED Talks, there aren't enough experts out there to give us enough willpower to give us what we need to create the kind of relationships that bring the life that we're looking for. I know, because I try them all. Relationships are difficult because they require constant attention. They require energy, and here's the hardest part. They're never done. You want to get that relationship healthy, you're like, I got it healthy, now I'm done. No, you're not, you're healthy for today. Tomorrow's a new day. That's difficult. But, but here's the thing, if we want Jesus' results, we have to embrace Jesus' model. I, I told you he was a relational expert, but that doesn't mean he did what we expect. 
See, Jesus didn't just love everybody and give them whatever they wanted. He didn't always spend time with the people he expected, people expected him to spend time with. Sometimes he was intense, he was rough. He was very clear on his boundaries, right? One time he's teaching and his mom and his brothers show up and they're like, they stop him from teaching and they're like, your mom and your brothers are here, they wanna talk to you, they need you. He goes, my mom and my brothers are the people who do the will of God. That's heavy. I've never seen that on a Mother's Day card. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. He didn't stop there. That wasn't the only nature of his relationship with them. His mother walked with him all the way to the end and when, when, when he was resurrected, went to the tomb and, and followed him. His brother, think about this. How hard would it be to have a big brother who's literally the savior of the world? And that's a big shadow to follow. And there were times where James struggled with that. But by the end, James was totally convinced. James gave his life. James was a leader in the church. James was martyred, not just because of family loyalty to his brother, but, but because he was convinced that his brother was who he said he was, the promised Messiah, the uncreated God who became a man and saved the world. That's an incredible relationship. Jesus, these guys who walked with them, every one of them, went from this moment to giving their lives, not just out of a loyalty to a friend, but to advance the cause of the mission. Now you're, you're going, okay, Jed, that's powerful, but, but, but I'm not Jesus. I know, neither am I. But, but Jesus says that if we'll follow his model, we can have his kind of relationships. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your relationships are. Maybe you're watching online. and Maybe you're like, Jed, that's so far from where I live. I'm trying to even just live the golden rule. The platinum rule feels a million miles away. Relationships in my life are difficult and broken, and I've got more relationships that are broken than I know how to fix. If that's where you're living, here's my point. Be encouraged today. You're not alone. We're all in a difficult spot. We're all, listen, I'm right there in it with you. I, I come from a great family, and I, I learned some of these things early on, but relationships don't come natural to me. I'm the kind of person who, who puts his foot in his mouth and doesn't even realize it until somebody tells you later. Like, I, I'm that guy. It, it's had to take a lot of investment and a lot of work. I've walked with God for a long time, and I'm still in this. I work really hard at it to just try to be pretty good in my relationships. I probably read, no, no exaggeration, 35 to 40 books a year on this one subject. I have great mentors. I'm trying to think about how do I help you? And here's what I realized. It just keeps requiring work. It keeps requiring remaining in God's love. It keeps requiring the humility that says, I don't know how to solve this. I don't know how to fix this. But because this matters so much, I'm going to keep trying. One of my mentors who has some of the best relationships I've ever seen, and we, we have an incredible relationship. And he's been a great encouragement from the time I was married. I got married really early and tried to make a commitment from early in my life to have quality relationships. And I remember him saying to me, he said, Jed, said, don't worry, you know, when you're first married, it, it, those are hard years, it gets better. Okay, great, thanks for the encouragement. And then he would say, okay, now when your kids are small, it's tough, it's tricky, it's a big adjustment. It, it's probably the hardest time. I'd be like, okay. Then he'd come back. Okay, listen, actually I was wrong. Toddler years are the most difficult. I'd be like, okay. Write that down, toddler years. A few years later, no, 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 wrong. Teenage years are the most difficult. Well, I have an update for you. We were just having breakfast a couple weeks ago. He goes, listen, Jed, forget all that other stuff I told you. Adult children are the most <laughs> difficult. So I was like, basically, whatever season you're in, he goes, yeah, pretty much that's how it works. So just buckle up. 
be ready for that. So how do we live well in our relationships? How do we do this? Number one, we prioritize God's perspective on relationships. You gotta start there. You gotta start with this. And here's why this is so critical. We were talking about the possibilities, the opportunities in our world today. We live in an information age. I saw a study this week from IBM. IBM's cloud survey, here's what they found. This is incredible to me. I remember when the internet came out. Remember when the internet came out and they used to joke? Well, if you printed the internet, here's how many volumes it would take. No one even jokes about printing the internet because that would be impossible, right? Here's what IBM found. They looked at all the data on the internet and I was shocked to find this out, but they discovered that 90% of the data on the internet is from 2016 or later. We're churning out exponentially more information than in the history of the world. Every minute of every day, right now, in this minute, 70,000 Instagram posts, 474,000 tweets, and 300 hours of content are uploaded to YouTube every minute of every day. Think about how much information that is. Now, information's not bad as long as you know how to sift through that information. Because a great majority of the information that I just described purports itself to have great, valuable information for how you should live and how you should relate to other people. Which creates a great challenge for you because now you need a grid. As I told you, I love to read. I'm not against information and helpful tools. But you better have a grid because sooner or later, your information is going to conflict. One person is going to say this, the other person is going to say that, and you better figure out how do I coalesce who's right when it seems like it's all wrong. I love to read. I love to study. I love to get informational help from all kinds of different places. But you better believe I've got a very clear filter based off of God's word and what it says. And I don't care how many PhDs you have. If you're saying this and God's word says that, I'm going with God because I've seen his relationships and I want what Jesus has in my relationships. Here's the thing. The earlier you learn this, the better. I've been in ministry for a couple decades now. I started in ministry doing campus ministry and I spent a lot of time working with college students and parents of college students and I learned a lot of things watching them interact. And it's like I just blinked and now my daughter yesterday went back for her second year of college. It seems impossible. Here's what I found though in that span of time. I've never met one person who said, you know what I regret? I regret prioritizing God's principles in my relationships. But I've seen many, many people who say, I had a difficult hurt, I had a pain, I got emotional, I made a bad choice in a, in a moment, and it's taken me years and years and years to recover. See, this is not theory. I have a small group. I meet with a group of guys. I got a group of 12 guys I'm meeting with every week, and they're talking about how do we become great dads? How do we become better brothers? How do we become better friends? How do we become better husbands? They're committed to it, and you know what? If you commit to it at an early age, at any age, it's valuable, but at an early age, there's a compounding effect for the good choices you make in your relationships. Never underestimate how critical that is. Here's the second thing. We maintain clear boundaries for unhealthy relationships. If you're in a live well small group, which we recommend, your verse this week is one of my favorites, Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's a double qualifier. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here's why this is so important. You can't manage all of the dysfunction in your life. And there are all of us, every single one of us, 
have dysfunction in our life. In some ways, we contribute to dysfunction in our life. And so we have to figure out what's the best way to deal with that. So I was thinking about you, and I decided, here's probably a simple way. There are four relationships all of us at some level have in our life. Here are the four most common types of unhealthy relationships in our lives. Because the truth is, no matter how many boundaries you have, a boundary is really just a clear expectation of how you're gonna relate to someone else. And as this verse says, you can't control how they relate to you, but you're the only one who can control how you relate to them. So you better figure it out. You better come up with a plan because all of us have dysfunctional, unhealthy relationships. Here are the four most common. The first one is a transactional relationship. In a transactional relationship, there's low trust and high need. You feel like someone's coming to you with an agenda. For example, the Pastors Fantasy Football League. In six years, we've had two trades and it's because we're all competitive and we all think that if someone's coming up to a trade with us, they're trying to put one over on us because we're all trying to dominate each other. And so as soon as you get a trade, it's like your first thought isn't like, oh, there's my friend, my brother in Christ. He hears from the Lord. It's like, what is he trying to steal from me, right? Like, I'm joking, mostly. Um, but all of us have those relationships. No one wants to feel like they, they're being treated as an agenda. No one wants to be manipulated. So you have to be aware of that. You can't get rid of them. And listen, the great thing is all these types of unhealthy relationships, they can be turned into healthy ones. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Here's the second one, obligatory relationship. In an obligatory relationship, it feels fake, it's not authentic. Maybe it's the friend of a friend. Maybe it's extended family. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a roommate's roommate or a friend and you feel by proxy you have to be in relationship with them but every time you get together, it's awkward, it's weird. You're like, they don't really like me, I don't really like them. It's it just, here's the thing. Create a healthy expectation of like, we may never be best friends, but I'm gonna do everything I can from my perspective to be kind and considerate, and if anything else happens beyond that, that's great, but I'm not gonna stress out every night trying to feel out how do I make that person like me. Here's the third one, disposable. A disposable relationship is temporary. There's no clear future to it. It feels, there's a sense that you have that as soon as adversity, as soon as challenge comes, as soon as I fail, to meet their needs, this person's gonna get rid of me. It's a very difficult way to, to live. And here's the last one, a destructive relationship where there's clear character erosion and potential for abuse. Here's what I would say to you in each of these things. A boundary is an excuse to treat people poorly. It's not. And a boundary won't eliminate unhealthy people from your life, you're stuck with them, we all are. And, and to some degree, it's always helpful to be, to be aware that all of us have our own areas of unhealth that we're working on. But here's what I would say, that a boundary creates a clear expectation. What you don't wanna be is codependent. What you don't wanna be is in a relationship where you have no ability to create expectations that are clear and healthy, because here's the last thing that I was gonna say. I talked about it a minute ago. The way that, a, that these unhealthy relationships become healthy is when both parties, see that's why you can't single-handedly solve it. When both parties on their own take steps towards being healthy, a relationship goes from being tra transactional to beneficial. It goes from being disposable to being committed. But that has to start with you saying, I can only own what I'm responsible to own, and I'm gonna trust and believe and pray for the other person. Here's the third one. We invest in our closest relationships. The reason why it's so important to manage the unhealthy relationships 
is because unfortunately those relationships tend to dominate our lives. They drain our energy, they drain our focus, they take our time, and so then when we come back to the relationships that we care about the most, we have very little left to give them. I think we all understand that our emotional health, our spiritual health is, is very closely tied to the health of our closest relationships. But I bet you didn't realize it's not just those areas, your physical health is actually closely tied to the health of your closest relationships. Think about that. I was shocked this week. I saw the longest lifestyle research project ever done was recently completed at Harvard. They followed a group of people, think about this, staggering. They followed a group of people for 70 years. How do you even do that? And, and as they were, they were calculating the results of this research, they were shocked by the single most stunning characteristic of the study, and it was this. They found the physical health of the people in their 80s was most closely tied to their emotional health in their 50s. Think about that. You, you, you think, well, is it their genetics? Is it their disease? No. How healthy their relationships were in their 50s determined how long they lived and the quality of their health. That's why the Bible says that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Really, anxious, difficult, challenging relationships can literally kill you. It's crazy to think about it, but it brings us back to, okay, Jed, you scared us now. Help us figure out what do we do with this. We have to be intentional. We have to think about, okay, how can I fix this? See, because here's the thing. We, we go back to like, okay, you're probably thinking of a person. You're probably thinking of a relationship where you're trying to fix it. But remember what I just said. You can't fix people all by yourself. I would encourage all of us make the mistake of fixating on the relationships that need fixing. And oftentimes we do that at the expense of the healthy relationships that are right in front of us. I would encourage you, here's what, I'm, here's what I would encourage you to do. How do we practically invest in our closest relationships? Number one, we engage on their terms. We engage on their terms. You don't get to decide how the people in your life receive investment from you. That doesn't mean they always dictate to you how you invest in them, like Jesus showed us, but you don't get to decide. If you're really wanting to add value, ask them. I was just asking my 14-year-old son this week, I was like, son, I wanna spend some time together. What would you like to do? And he picked something and we went and did it. I, I was talking with my 20-year-old and, and I was asking her and I was like, okay, she was getting ready to go back to school. I was like, what's something in your life that, that I'm doing that you want me to stop? And we're sitting there and she doesn't know I'm gonna say this, but, but I'm gonna say it. Um, Sarah and I were sitting there at lunch with our daughter and, and I looked at her and then she looked at me and she goes, wow, dad, really? And I go, yeah. And she looks at mom and she goes, I didn't make that agreement. And so. I'm gonna pay for that one later. That was for your benefit. Anyways, <laughs> Isabel said to me, she said, Dad, you, you always, I love you and you have such great wisdom, but sometimes I want you to just listen to me. You always turn everything into a coaching moment. It's like, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna do better. And I put my hand over my mouth. I was like, although if you were gonna say that to me next time. <laughs> did it, I can't even. So we engage on their terms. Here's the second thing. You gotta be present. You gotta be present, that seems so obvious, but listen, we all blow this. Being in the same room, being in the car is not the same as being present in the relationship. You could be in the room doing a family activity and be totally separate and distant, right? Like again, buckle up, this is gonna hurt us all, but I'm in this with you. But, but all of us are guilty of being in the room with the people that we love the most, 
preoccupied with the device in our hands, scrolling through what people we barely know or don't know at all are doing, and we don't care and they don't care, and we're missing the moment with the people who are right in front of us. We gotta be present. We gotta be willing to say, okay, I'm not just gonna be around you, I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna engage, I'm gonna prioritize you because you matter to me. Here's the third thing, we gotta get help. We gotta get help. Culture is not gonna help you get there. This is why we're always telling you, take a next step. Go to Discovery 101, get in a small group, get in the growth track. We're not just trying to fill your life with religious programming. Why do I have a group of guys and we're talking about how do you be a better wife, we, or a better husband, a better leader to your wife? Why do we focus on that? Because we won't get there just by accident. You have to be intentional, you have to ask for help. All of us do this. I have to ask for help all the time. All the time, asking for help. How should I say this? I think I hurt their feelings when I did this. What would I do better? What do you think? Help me, I wanna grow, I wanna get better. And here's the last one, we have to make one heart connect every day. See, with your closest relationships, you're not gonna be able to touch all of them every day. That would be a great goal to shoot for. But, but I think every one of us can go, okay, when my head hits the pillow at night, did I make a connection with the people that I care about the most and that's gotta be our goal every day. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you write a note, you send a text, you listen actively, you spend quality time on their terms, you communicate to them, I care about you, I care about our relationship, how can I love you better, how can I serve you more? Is there anything that you want me to stop doing? Is there anything you need me to do more in your life? Find ways to create conversations because these are the things that you're gonna care about. You can't live well without living well in this area. The truth is, not your career, not your title, not your dream vacation, not your house, none of those things will go with you from this life to the next, but your relationships will. Those things are eternal. This is not theory to me. This past year was a big year for me. My dad went home to be with Jesus, and it's one of those moments in your life. This is a picture of him with my son and I, maybe a year or two ago here at Milestone in the commons there. And you know, when your dad passes, he had a few health scares over the last few years. It's one of those moments you're like, when it comes, how am I gonna react? And we weren't always close, but we worked really hard on a relationship. There were some moments where we had some really difficult boundary discussions that were exhausting and painful and challenging, but I'll tell you this, we got closer and we got better as time went on. And the sacrifices and the investment, every single one of them was worth it. Maybe 18 months ago, we sat together and, and I said, Dad, it's been such a joy to watch what God's done in your life. Would you say these, are the these have been the best years of your life? He said, with tears in his eyes, he said, absolutely, son, greatest years of my life. Earlier this year, when he started to have serious health challenges, we, we were sitting and talking and I remember going to the hospital and I was thinking like, what do I need to say to him that I haven't already said? And there wasn't a big list because our relationship had grown to the point where we were close. I knew how he felt, he knew how I felt, and it turned out the same mission trip to Peru that we were talking about. My son was getting ready to go on. I said, Dad, do you want us to go or we could stay here to support you? He said, son, there's no place on earth my grandson and my son should be than telling people about Jesus. So we were on the trip and it looked like everything was turning for the good and we got news back that it was, it was going the other way and that we were coming to the end. So I talked to my wife, I talked to my mom, I was like, do I need to rush back, do I need, they're like, no, just come back, when you get back, it's gonna be okay. So came back on Monday afternoon, we landed and 
went straight over to the house and we talked and we laughed and we talked about Jesus and we talked about football. And my dad was not a big physical touch guy, but he said, I just want you to sit here and hold my hand. Pastor Jeff and Brandy came over. He said, so grateful for the way you lead Milestone, for the way you've loved me, for the healing that's come through this relationship. But I'll never forget, he said to all of us as we sat there, that was the last time in his life where he would be able to have a conversation. He would pass just two days later. He said this, make sure you tell the people of Milestone how much I love them and how much their relationships have meant to me. Here's the point. I'm not just trying to get emotional or trying to find some story for effect. But when that chapter of all of our lives closes, you're not gonna care about the thing that's bothering you today unless it relates to a relationship. The things that matter most in life are the things that are eternal and there's nothing more eternal than every one of our relationship with Jesus and the relationship with the people who are closest to us in our lives. And wherever you're at, whatever struggle, whatever challenge you may be facing, Jesus says, if you'll remain in me, I'll remain in you, and you'll be able to love others the way that I love them. Let's pray. Jesus, we sense your presence. We sense your peace. God, I'm asking, if anyone's here today or watching online, they feel distant from you. They're like, I didn't know that this church thing was about a relationship with Jesus. How do I have one? What good things do I have to do to get a relationship with Jesus? There's nothing you could do. He, he did it because you couldn't. Just in your own words, say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be close to you. And right there in that place, in your own words, he'll come. He'll meet you in that place. If that's you and you make that decision, just that little communication card we talked about, put your name on there. And when the offering container comes by, just drop that in there. Or maybe come down after the service and pray with one of these men and women. Maybe you've made that decision. Maybe you've prayed that prayer and there's a relationship in your life. You don't know how to fix it. Well, you can't fix it, but you can fix how you love, how you serve, how you relate. You can invest in the relationships that are healthy. You can take another step. You could say, every day, God, I'm going to invest in the people who I'm closest with. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you care so deeply about our relationships, that you didn't just care about it, but you came to do something about it, that we could experience the love that you experienced. I pray we'd all experience that in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.